what if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Coming up on The Cost of Living. I had a lot of people reach out going, gosh, that must be horrible to live with your parents. And I'm kind of like, well, you know what? It's actually pretty nice. They have a pool. I have my three dogs. <laughs> Natasha Solonen graduated from Oxford. Yeah, the one in England. She has a good job, but the high cost of housing means she's living back home with her parents. Hi, I'm Paul Haverstrude. Welcome to The Cost of Living. The irony of Natasha living at home? She's actually the mayor of her small Ontario town. And she can't afford a home there. So like more Canadians these days, her answer? Living with mom and dad. Also today, skip lagging. It's a travel hack that could save you hundreds of dollars on a flight. But it could also make you persona non grata at an airline. You feeling lucky? Up first, one of the big Canadian stereotypes, we're likable. Who wouldn't want to be here? And there's 40 million of us with money to spend. So why do big global food companies keep pulling stuff from our shelves? Did you know that Escalator was originally a brand name? Like Jeep, Jello, Skidoo, Kleenex? Achoo! Thank goodness for Kleenex tissues. Achoo! Now in Canada, we can't thank goodness for Kleenex. Kimberly Clark stopped selling it here. So we have to buy facial tissue. What? Kleenex isn't the only product that's disappeared from our store shelves. Skippy peanut butter, ragu, bugles. Earlier this year, Nestle pulled Lean Cuisine and Delicio pizzas from the freezer aisle. What did Andrew Jacob think when he heard that? Oh my God, no, this is 14% of my diet. You know, this can't be. Andrew figures he ate Delicio at least once a week. So he has a lot of thoughts on frozen pizza. You know, in the frozen food section, so many pizzas are lacking in, I, I want to say, moisture. Like, the, the sauce isn't really there, and there's, like, the, the, the nice oily appearance of the Delicio pizzas. You don't really see that with other brands, to, in my experience, anyway. Hey, dude really knows his frozen pizzas. It's not delivery, it's Delicio, right? Um, you know, I'd say this hardcore Delicio loyalty thing has been going on for, you know, or had been going on for 8 to 10 years. And just to add a little salt to the wound, he also lost Lean Cuisine. That also stung because at the time I was eating, yeah, essentially Lean Cuisine five times a week at lunchtime, trying to save money and eating something, you know, reasonably (laughs) tasty and warm. 
So why are these products leaving Canada? Nestle used to boast that 40 million Delicio pizzas were sliced at Canadian pizza nights every year. Kleenex has been here for, like, always. Now, Kimberly Clark said it's pulling Kleenex because of some unique complexities in the business. What does that even mean? Well, analysts offered some standard Canadian answers. We're a big country, relatively small population, costs a lot to move stuff around. That's not without merit, but... Look, the United States is 10 times bigger than Canada, but that's only a small part of the explanation. A lot of it has to do with all of the additional challenges associated with operating in Canada. Walid Hajazi is a professor of international business at the University of Toronto. He says shipping costs aren't the only reason products are leaving. It's also about the big companies that make our food and sell it becoming bigger. When you have more concentration in the retail sector, then what ends up happening is you get less variety and you get higher prices. Stocking shelves with lots of variety is not cheap. It's very expensive. How concentrated is Canada's grocery business? We buy 80% of our food from just five players. Loblaws, Sobeys, and Metro, plus Walmart and Costco. Wherever you might shop, Superstore, Marche Richelieu, TNT, chances are it's owned by one of those companies. That market dominance gives them a lot of clout with suppliers. It's a huge negotiation between the consumer package company and the, the retailer. You know, exactly what happens in those negotiations is obviously all confidential. There was leaked reports that some retailers told the consumer package companies that if you sell your product to our competitors at a lower price than you sell it to us, we won't carry your product. So different retailers have different strategies and different negotiations, but it is a negotiation. The big grocery chains and the big food producers are constantly negotiating what are known as retail fees. One of the biggest retail fees is for shelf space. Getting a good spot at eye level or the end of an aisle, that costs more. And that's not all. If a company wants its product to be part of a flyer or promotion, buy two cans of soup, get one free, it pays a marketing fee. Add to that out-of-stock fees late delivery charges, e-commerce fees. The bigger the grocery chain, the more it can squeeze suppliers. If you want to reach a very large consumer base, you have to go through a Walmart, you have to go through a Loblaws or one of their chain of stores, you have to go through a Metro. But now when you start thinking about negotiating with these retailers, these retailers don't have to give you a deal on shelf space and they can demand that they want that product at a much lower price so the big grocery chains have some products over a barrel. They don't have the ability to negotiate with these big retailers, and the retailers can just not carry them. Because people aren't looking necessarily for your product. They're not going to go to the store to get that product. They're going to the store to get milk and bread. They're getting all of these, what I'll call table stakes products. And then the other products, they're willing to take a box of facial tissue it doesn't have to be Kleenex. It could be something else. So you have much less leverage. Kleenex does have unbeatable name recognition. 
but that doesn't mean it's number one in sales. The Canadian brand Scotty's actually outsells it by a lot. So Kleenex got sneezed out. (laughs) Okay, squeezed out, sorry. And its shelf space probably got taken by an in-house brand, a no-name or compliments. That's more money for the big grocery company, but less choice for us. The one thing that we know about competition, when there's more competition, it disciplines all players to the benefit of the consumer. Competition, or a lack of it, isn't just an issue for Canada's grocery giants. Global consumer products companies are also monsters. 80% of what people buy at the store, according to a U.S. study, comes from about 10 companies. Go look in your cupboard right now. Chances are it's full of stuff from Kellogg's, Kraft Heinz, General Mills. Vass Bedner says what's happened to competition throughout the whole food chain is a loss for consumers. She's a public policy professor at McMaster. When a handful of companies dominate a market, this doesn't leave much room for scrappy upstarts. And competition is what keeps the big players hungry. Without it, they're less likely to hustle for a small piece of the Canadian tissue market. It's sort of the the poor man's innovation. You're going to cut the underperforming marketplace in a global context and just get out of Canada altogether. We're seeing that more. Big conglomerates deciding they can make more money somewhere else. And she says an iconic brand like Kleenex leaving is an especially bad sign for this country. If Kleenex doesn't want to tough it out in Canada, if it's not worth literally the cost, then how do we expect newer companies or younger companies to be able to get a foothold in that marketplace at all? Um, It doesn't necessarily open the door, this vacancy for many more tissue companies to come forward and suddenly, you know, we are delighted (laughs) with all the choice and the range that we have. It's probably much more of an indicator of less choice, less options, less opportunity, which can further degrade quality of the products that we're even able to find in the first place. So all of it, I think, is uh, a negative for Canadian consumers and why regulators and everyday people need to keep paying attention. If something doesn't change, Vass expects more products will leave Canadian shelves. And less competition, ultimately, will be bad for prices. Big companies have been getting bigger for decades. This isn't changing overnight, if ever. But Vass does see regulators pushing back. Just in the last few days, Ottawa proposed changes to the Competition Act to give regulators more teeth to go after the big grocers. Do I think things will change? Yes. Do I think they will change fast? Hopefully. Why do I think they will change? Because the country is going to get even more desperate and pressure to make sure that we have robust competitive marketplaces. And right now, we don't. Delicio promised us a long time ago, it's not delivery, it's Delicio. That could still be true, just not in Canada. On your Radio and by podcast, this is The Cost of Living. I'm Paul Haberschrude. Put up your hand if you've had a bad travel experience. A 10-hour delay. Maybe you sat on the tarmac forever. A canceled flight meant you missed a wedding. Well, 
Now more frequent flyers are trying to balance the karmic ledger by doing something called skip lagging. And our producer Jennifer Keen finds airlines are not happy about it. Jesse Collier has a YouTube channel called The Road Jess Traveled. She's always looking for ways to save money on flights. So she thought she'd try skip lagging. I had read on some some blog that that it was an interesting idea. Like that I thought, okay, like let's see, let's see if this works. Skip lagging or hidden city ticketing is where you book a flight that has a layover, but the layover is your final stop. I booked a flight from it was Los Angeles to Buffalo with the layover in Newark, which was going to be my destination. I wanted to spend a week in New York City. Because direct flights are often more expensive than those with connections, it can be a cheaper way to travel. That one-way flight cost Jesse $200 less than if she'd flown direct from L.A. to New York. I thought, I'm a genius and just figured out (laughs) this amazing hack. As the cost of travel goes up, more folks are figuring it out. According to the website skiplag.com, thousands of people buy hidden city tickets every day. I think people just see the financial incentive where, you know, maybe they have to go to a wedding or something and they are like, well, like I can, I've heard of this site, I could use it, it's a travel hack. You're kind of sticking it to the airlines who many people feel like they've been ripped off by an airline or that they've paid too much. So I think a bit of it is this like, take that airlines. But airlines, they don't want to take that. They say skip lagging violates their policies, and they're cracking down on people who try it, threatening to cancel their points or banning them from future flights. United Airlines sued skiplag.com a few years ago, unsuccessfully. Now American Airlines is taking it to court. They want to try to keep this small problem from becoming a much larger problem. And the reason boils down to money. Henry Hardevelt is a travel industry analyst in San Francisco. If you're flying from A to B and the fare for that would be more than the flight from A to C via that intermediary hub, the airline wants to collect the higher local fare. So airlines are worried about losing out on that potential revenue. But they also don't want passengers buying tickets they don't intend to use. Because then it means that the airline not only is out the revenue for that customer, but they may have lost out on selling a ticket uh, to another customer who did intend to take that flight. So maybe you're thinking, hey, I paid for the ticket. Why can't I do what I want with it? Like Jessie Collier. She bought that ticket from L.A. to Buffalo with the stop in New York. But it didn't exactly go as planned. When she arrived at the gate, she was told the overhead bins were full and she'd have to check her carry-on bag. I asked them if they could possibly send it to Newark and they immediately shut that down. And before I could realize what had happened, my bag was out of sight. Jessie still got off in New York, but her bag flew on to Buffalo. So I definitely was feeling some karma happening to me. (laughs) 
So would Jesse try skip lagging again? I just, my, my three word advice is don't do it. I think there's a lot of other great ways to save money. For the cost of living, I'm Jennifer Keene. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Cost of Living. I'm Paul Haberschrude. Gen X knows all about the stereotype of being a slacker. Dead-end job, not doing anything with their life, living in their parents' basement. Eventually, slackers evolved into boomerangers. Kids who left home but then moved back in with their parents. Whatever your generation, living at home often doesn't make you the coolest kid on the block. But now, Ellis Cho... We have a housing crisis. And living at home doesn't look so bad anymore. Housing has never been more expensive. And there are a lot of parents with big, empty homes. But that doesn't mean that moving back in together is an easy choice. Is it what I thought if you would ask 10-year-old me what I'd look like in 28 years? No, absolutely not. But I think everybody's life plans change from... Natasha Salonen is 28 years old, and she's the mayor of Wilmot, Ontario. She moved in with her parents a few years ago, and she's still there because, like a lot of Canadians, she's crunched the numbers, and they don't look good. So the mayor can't afford to live in her own town? No. She didn't have much choice after graduating from university with a big, fat student loan. I had a lot of people reach out going, gosh, that must be horrible to live with your parents. And I'm kind of like, well, you know what? It's actually pretty nice. They have a pool. I have my three dogs. Like, <laughs> Pool sounds pretty nice. It sure does. She's lucky. Her parents have the space for her. She's able to live rent-free and pay down her loan. But she's frustrated with the cost of housing in her own community. What are prices like in Wilmot? Not cheap. Wilmot is a couple of hours outside of Toronto, just west of Kitchener-Waterloo, and prices shot up there during the pandemic when people started looking outside of this big city for more space. They bought up houses anywhere even remotely close to Toronto. In July, the average price of a home in her community was more than $900,000. That's a lot, even for a mayor. Even if you're the mayor, and she's not alone. According to a recent survey from the Bank of Montreal, more than two-thirds of young Canadians think homeownership is out of reach. And today, 35% of people between 20 and 34 live with at least one parent. 35%, huh? That's like, that's more than a third of young adult Canadians. Yeah. Multi-generational living is catching on, Paul. More than 2.3 million people live in a household with their extended families. That number has grown by more than 20% since 2011, mostly driven by recent newcomers. And home builders across the country are noticing. How so? 
Well, they're designing and building more homes to accommodate these larger extended families. So we are in our secondary basement suite. Uh, this has two bedrooms. Come on into the kitchen. Akshat Machar is with the home builder in Calgary, and he gave me a tour of one of his best sellers. It's a two-story house with a bedroom and a full bathroom on the main floor for grandparents who can't do stairs. Then there's an entire basement suite with its own separate entrance. So there's private space for everyone, but space for gathering together too. And these houses are selling? Yep. Sales have more than doubled over the past three years for Mater. And it's not just Calgary. These kinds of homes are selling well in B.C., Manitoba, and Ontario. Huh. Who's the market here? Well, most of Akshat's buyers are South Asians, like the Saja family. Back in India, this is what we do. It's not like we live like separately. Like when I'm growing up, like when I'm 18, I go out of the house. It's not like that. Living with the family is fun for us. Rakesh Saja immigrated to Canada a few years ago. He's 27, single, and lives with his parents and a sister's family in her house. We live here like a family. So I don't pay any rent. If I'm outside, uh, I would have paid like at least a thousand dollars. That too for the basement. If I get an apartment, it's two thousand now. That is what I'm seeing. So I don't pay the rent here. My rent is saved. Groceries hardly five hundred or six hundred, and like my other own expenses. So I'm saving so much, right? Rakesh has a very good thing going. He works full time in IT, and his mother even makes him breakfast and delivers it to his room. So Natasha gets a swimming pool and Rakesh gets breakfast? Well, obviously, this is not going to be everyone's situation. And it's not like Rakesh and Natasha don't help out. Natasha's dad is in a wheelchair and she helps care for him. And Rakesh also pays for groceries and helps with chores. And he did just say this is how things are for many people in India. For many people in Canada, though, living with your parents can come with a bit of a stigma. But that attitude, that living with your parents means you failed, is it's more recent than you might think. Jack Jedwab is the president of the Association for Canadian Studies, and he says this attitude only came about after World War II. You know, that's when families started to shrink and cities grew. This was really when we saw the rise of individualism. The growing sense of, uh, you know, this is about me. And so a variety of things that lent itself to the idea that there's more value, especially as we sort of hit the adult age, uh, in being on one's own or creating one's own family unit and, and, and building one's own path and having one's own home and so forth. So leaving the nest meant you made it. Your parents could brag about you in the holiday letter. But now, if more adults are living at home, is the kind of stigma that used to exist going away? Maybe. The pandemic changed a lot of things, and it was a lonely time for many people. And with the cost of living and housing prices going up... There's some rethinking about whether there is anything actually wrong with me still living with my parents and thinking about uh, ways in which I can help them and they can help me. So not everyone is feeling the same type of stigma, given, again, the type of economy we're living in. And there are probably also some sort of collateral effects from the pandemic when you know, uh, one was uh, separated from family members, couldn't see them very often, uh, you know, and maybe gave some more thought to, hey, you know what, I I do want to be closer to my parents. We have a lot of big houses in this country with fewer people living in them. Yeah, definitely. A lot of empty nesters out there, a lot of big houses, a lot of space just sitting there. 
that's what happened to Natasha, right? She moved back in with her parents, and in her town, she's got a housing issue, and she sees multi-generational living as one of a number of potential solutions. So I recognize it's not for all, but um, sorry if you hear the dogs in the background. Um, Certainly, I think it's one of the prongs that can help with the affordability crisis. And and I think that it can have a real change and really be beneficial to a lot of people's lives. But she says this would take a huge shift in thinking. And it doesn't just go one way. Not everyone is eager for their adult kids to move back in. In her case, it just happened to work out. Is this a long-term thing for her? She doesn't know. She's pretty happy where she is for now. But if there were like a cute little garden cottage home that went up for sale just down the road from my parents, I wouldn't be against moving in there either if it were affordable. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if it were affordable. (laughs) Yeah, there's a big if. Thanks, Ellis. Thanks, Paul. Would you move back in with your folks? Or if you're a parent, what do you think of your kids coming home? Give us a call and let us know. Our number is 1-866-550-COST. That's 1-866-550-2678. Or email costofliving at cbc.ca. On last week's show, we looked at how you can beat the high cost of concert tickets by waiting until the very last minute to buy. It's a gamble, but it can work. And it's not the only concert-going move you can make. I've gone to numerous sellout, top-notch acts the day of, stood at the box office windows, sometimes for eight hours, and they have released tickets at face value. And I have always been successful with that approach. It is a lot of investment time-wise, but it's worth it in the end because you're dealing with the venue box office, you're getting tickets at face value, and they're typically great seats. So that's my trick of the trade. One way to get great seats is to get seats to see somebody who's new and who's not known and who ends up being really good after. So when our kids were little, I heard this woman sing on the radio here in Montreal, I called my husband. I said, look, there's this woman. Her voice is incredible. She's new. I've never heard of her. She, she just put out a first album. Get us some babysitters. And he did. And I bought $20 tickets. And we went to Club Soda here in Montreal to see Adele's first concert. Adele? I guess you could say she hated to turn up out of the blue uninvited. But she couldn't stay away. She couldn't fight it. <laughs> Thanks for the calls. That's the show for this week. The Cost of Living is based in Calgary. The show is produced by Danielle Nerman, Ellis Cho, and Jennifer Keene. With help from Caroline, the fighting alligator, Ferris. Our executive producer is Tracy Johnson. I'm Paul Aversrude. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.